Hey, Haley. Yeah, Alyssa? Are you ready to change the narrative around women's sports? Let's do it. You are listening to Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski, and this is the Iron Women Podcast, a production from Live Feisty Media. Haley and Alyssa are longtime professional triathletes and coaches. Between them, they have completed more than 50 iron distance races and just as many 70.3s. Their accomplished careers include nine professional wins and one fastest known time. Haley, do I have to tell the listeners how many of those wins are mine? Nah, we'll keep that between us. The Iron Women podcast has a Patreon community which helps support our podcast. If you love the podcast, check us out at patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And don't forget to tell a friend. Now, let's get to the show. Hi, Haley. I am joining you from the opposite side of the United States today, which is very, very exciting to be somewhere else. So, um, yeah, I I feel like I should. Well, we're still both morning. So good morning. We're recording in the morning today. We are recording in the morning, which is unusual. And you're the opposite side of the United States from your usual position. Usually you're in Virginia. Right now you're in California. But we are actually like closer together. I'm in Montana. We're closer together than normal. And we're only one hour apart. We're basically, and for like a very rare situation, I'm like ahead of you in life. I'm an hour ahead. I'm like, <laughs> How is it? Does it get any better? Tell me it gets better. <laughs> yeah. The life one hour, life at 8.30 a.m. is so much better than life at 7.30 a.m. I'm just telling you. Yep. Much well, better. I have to say time doesn't really matter to me at all when I'm out here. So I am. <laughs> I came out to um, visit my coach, my good friend, um, you know, someone I, I work for her as a coach, um, Hillary Biscay, and she lives in San Diego. It was also a very important date. My godmother, my goddaughter's fourth birthday um, was a couple days ago, and I hadn't missed a birthday yet. So I did, I weighed the risks and I decided to uh, fly out to San Diego and be able to celebrate that birthday and then get some stuff done with Hillary that we we wanted to kind of work on in person too. So it's been like super busy with all that stuff. And Hillary has four uh, babies, like Madison's the oldest, she just turned four. So as you can imagine with that kind of, you know, children running around, time literally means nothing. It's just like, which baby is awake and needs attention and like yeah where which one is like not getting making sure no one's getting into things they shouldn't be basically so auntie Alyssa has been on high alert and it's exhausting I have to say are you doing any training while you're out there or is baby wrangling training enough baby wrangling is most of the training um we I've done like a few very early morning, like dark headlamp runs where we're getting up at like four 30 or five to get in an hour or so before the baby start to wake up. But I'm still on like an unstructured break time. I think, I think next week I'll start to start training for, you know, more structure again. But, um, I, that was also why this trip was good because it is, you know, it used to be, I would come see Hillary and training would be like the focus of things. And now it's like kind of on the back burner, which is funny. But one of her other athletes actually did the age group Ironman virtual race 
this past weekend. So Alex Watt, who you know from Team SFQ as well. And so they had, instead of like pros racing virtually, they had the age group race. So I actually got to be in person um, watching her suffer. Uh, She did her run and we like helped film the run, which you know how that goes. And then um, (laughs) it's harder than you think, right? Yeah. I mean, luckily she chose a track. So it was, I guess it's like a lot easier to do. I don't know how we would have done it. Cause again, we were like wrangling babies and um, trying to film, but um, there's a lot of moving pieces that go into those virtual races. Like the setup, the checks, the double checks, the like, yeah, it was, it was a lot, but it was very cool to see. And it was exciting. You know, we were like, she was racing the one other woman, two other men and the Ruby, you know, it makes it feel like she was, I think their course was actually like coming down from Javi in on the queen and then like turning onto the queen K and they rode like, I want to say the queen K to like scenic point or something. It was 56 kilometers. So they didn't get all the way back um into to the town but it was cool to like see the queen k on the virtual <laughs> you know thing and alex had never hasn't ridden in kona yet so um getting to like you know tell her like oh you're at this part but you're really you know like you just came down from Havi and you're turning onto the queen k and like that part is really hot and awful and everyone feels like they're dying but like so you're actually lucky that you're not really there in person. And, you know, like <laughs> I was going to ask, did you like get a bunch of hair dryers and like yeah. blow them on her? So like really make give her the full experience. Actually, I should have. That would have been I feel like we would have made gotten on the video like more video time. Um, but yeah, <laughs> next time. Next. Time. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. It, it was my first time flying since COVID. And um, so that was uh, an experience. And Definitely, you know, I wouldn't say it's something I want to return to doing a lot of by any means, but I think, you know, in this time, I'm, I'm happy I came out here and, um, you know, hopefully continue to be safe on the way home. But tell me, tell me about you. What's, I saw you did like a successful track workout this week. So are you like, yeah, what are you, what's on your plate these days? Oh, I mean, I'm just celebrating any little victory I get. Uh, my track workout was actually more like it was paced really well. And I was running 200s on the track, which is like pretty short. And that is something where it's like hard to pace something that's that short, right? And this was the first time I felt like I have like another gear. Like I could go like I was like descending effort, obviously, like starting out easier and then descending. And that was like a good feeling to feel like you have another gear, like you can be controlled because sometimes I don't know how you feel, but sometimes when I do 200, it's like, I'm just like going all out, even if it's like my marathon pace. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. 200s. I'm like the, I'm just, yeah, basically sprinting as like hard as I humanly possibly can. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, 38 seconds. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, 38 seconds is legit. I, um, but it's, yeah. So I was like, I, it was, that was like a nice feeling just to feel like I had another gear and then at like short things. And then, um, I posted a lot about how there was like an art installation on this trail, right? really close to where I live, where I walk cowboy usually and where I go run. Oh, this is and the fairy houses. Yes. Like 10 artists. Um, I think it's like 10 local artists built like 10 little fairy houses in this like kind of alcove of trees. And it's so cool, Alyssa. And it's just like, they're so like really, really well done. And some of them have like solar lights. And so if you go at night, it looks like there's like little fires going in the fairy houses. And I posted a couple pictures on my Instagram and I take cowboy back there and we've gone back several times and there's even like a map that they made. And so 
a lot of, if you go like in the afternoon, like after school kind of thing, there's like so many kids and they're just like all, but everyone's very respectful and like keeps a distance, but then also like no one touches the fairy houses because they don't want to like disturb the fairies. Like, I feel like Ramona would be like a bull in a china shop, like <laughs> knocking everything over. <laughs> Cowboy knows not to go in towards the houses. Right. He doesn't go close to him. I think that none of them are made with like food. I think if you had like okay. food things, you might have issues with just like all the animals, but they're all made of like natural materials. So like moss and sticks and all that kind of thing. And some of them are kind of like, they kind of put like a little like rope off sort of thing. And I'm just like, yeah, we know. But, um, anyway, it's, it's really neat. And I think it is just kind of an unexpected surprise. Like they, they put it up like Monday night and Tuesday morning. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, this is amazing. And every time I've walked through, I've like, I don't know if I found all 10 yet. And I find like a different one. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like that's the kind of thing we need in the world right now. Like art, something that's like beautiful, interesting, accessible to everyone and unexpected goodness. I need some unexpected goodness in my life. So I've been appreciating the fairy houses. That's awesome. I love it. So yeah, keep posting those pictures because I was trying, I was trying to figure out where they were, I guess, but that makes sense. If it's like a little walking trail kind of wonderland place, that's like the perfect place for it. Yes. Maybe I should do a video of like a whole tour, but yeah, it's just like, it's just a public trail and, um, it's very, very close to where I live, which is on purpose. I live close to it on purpose because it's a nice place to live close to trails, but, um, it's definitely, if anyone's in Bozeman, check out the fairy, fairy, the like fairy houses. And I think that's up for like another week. And cause my mom asked me that she's like, what are they going to do when it snows? And I'm oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, poor fairies. It will be so cold. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Haley, we have a couple um, Live Feisty announcements. So first, the Menopause podcast, Hit Play, Not Pause. Um, If you missed the live launch, it will be out um, on your podcast apps and everything October 7th. So Hit Play, Not Pause will be coming out on Wednesdays. So be sure to check that out. And then we have a super cool, like, live event. And I'm saying live with, like, quotes around it because it's not actually live. It's, like, in in virtually live event coming up um, with Hannah Grant and Sarah True. So Haley, do you want to tell us more about that? Right. Our interview today is with Hannah Grant and she's a professional chef and she's written a book specifically about four endurance athletes. It's called Eat, Race, Win, and we'll have more info on that. But Hannah and Sarah are going to do a live cooking class. And so what you'll do is you can go sign up ahead of time. They will email you the, like what you need, the ingredients. And so you have everything ready. You log into Zoom and you get to cook with Hannah Grant and Sarah True. You're going to cook something delicious, I'm sure. And so keep an eye on the Live Feisty and Hannah Grant's own Instagram account, which is at Daily Stews. Information will be there. It will also be in the Live Feisty newsletter. If you don't subscribe to the newsletter, head to livefeisty.com and you can find out how to subscribe there. So keep an eye out for this great uh, information, especially if you enjoy our conversation with Hannah Grant today. She's she's very entertaining. And if you listen to the If We Were Riding podcast, you also know Sarah True is very entertaining. They both love to cook. And I mean, Alyssa, I get like a little intimidated to like cook with such accomplished cooks, but maybe they can make it fun and accessible. And <laughs> even someone like me could figure it out. Totally. And I think, I think it's like a going to be done over zoom or something. Right. So, um, you can just turn your video off and be like, Oh yeah, everything's fine over here. Things are just going fine. Mine tastes great. It looks just like yours. That's so crazy. Like I, yeah, I'm a chef. <laughs> I like just like put 
a chef hat on and take a screenshot like all the kids do for their school. And they're like, I'm right here, right in front of this oven that I don't know how to turn on. <laughs> um, along these lines, Haley, we have we have a mailbag question this week. So um, people can write into the mailbag with questions at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we give us we give you our best shot at answering them. And we have one that fits in with the theme of this episode with interviewing Hannah Grant. So this comes in from another Haley. Um, and Haley wants to know, because she is, you know, keeping her fingers crossed that Ironman UK 2021 would be happening next year. We all are crossing fingers on these races happening, Haley. Um, and she wants to know our opinions because she's had real problems eating enough on the bike, even in middle distance races, her stomach starts to hurt and feel pretty bloated, which obviously is not ideal. So then she just kind of stops eating and drinking and then has no fuel in her left for the run. So she recognizes that this is like a huge issue, especially for a full Ironman. So any advice on how to work on this, any good books or resources that we might suggest? Boom. Good books. Eat, race, win by Hannah Grant. Yeah. I mean, listen to this one. And I think if you listen to our outro, there might be a a handy discount. If you do want to get Hannah's book, eat, race, win, because it is, it's an endurance athlete cookbook. And I think that that might be a good place to start. And then also, but I do think with nutrition, it is an experiment of one. You got to find what works for you. Yeah. I think that, you know, my, I think what works well is like starting small. And when I say starting small, I'm like not even meaning in like terms of trying to take in like, okay, I'm going to try and take in 150 calories an hour on this bike. I'm going to try and take in like 200, 250, you know, like and build. But I also mean like, try it in short workouts, like start training your stomach when you're going out for like a 45 minute run or an hour run, you know, like all the time in coaching, I see people who, um, you know, are doing like a quote shorter when it's like Ironman training, right. An hour is short, short workout. And they're not fueling that. And I, um, rare, like I almost always carry some like noon endurance or something, even for just those hour runs, um, just to have a little bit of calories and definitely hydration, um, and I believe that that has helped my stomach really just get used to always processing things and like being able to take in calories on the move. And so I would say just start, yeah, like with your quote, shorter workouts, like don't, you know, it's like when we, um, interviewed Sayla, Sayla, is that how, is that how, how we say your name? And she said, how do you eat an elephant? Oh, small Sayla bites? Schneider. The, yes. She climbed El Capitan. <laughs> yeah. The, so yeah. how do you eat an elephant in like small bites? Right. And so you just take a small bite, take your small workout and get through that and like, see how your stomach responds. If you're taking in calories over that 45 minutes or that hour, um, and then slowly like lengthen the time from there. Um, and I think that just like Haley said, it is an experiment of one, like try different things, try, um, you know, it's probably if it's like a consistently, you're always getting feeling like sick or bloated or something. There's probably just something that doesn't quite sit well with you. Um, and there's so many, you know, products and things out there to be trying like solids versus liquids or, um, you know, doing things that are like, uh, have a little bit of protein versus things with like no protein and things like that. So, try and like keep a log too, maybe like, I don't know. I've, you know, and that way you can maybe see some of those patterns and things like that. Um, I will say to an extent and Haley, you can say if you feel this way too, at some point I do think fueling for Ironman racing is uncomfortable and like everyone gets quite bloated and everyone (laughs) feels like, you know, like at a certain point, like you're shoving in so many calories to fuel you through that. Like 
don't panic if you're starting to feel a little like bloated and uncomfortable because that actually is a little bit normal. Right. And like, um, you know, through the day, it's like, that's, that's sometimes why I like to like take the Coke on course even because it like helps me like burp, (laughs) like process through some of that, like uncomfortableness in your stomach because it is like, it's hard to process the amount of fuel that you need to, to be able to like really race that distance hard. So I don't know. I don't, Haley, do you kind of feel like that to some extent? It's like, it is uncomfortable to be shoving that much, that many calories in. Yeah. I always encourage people to eat what they like. And so what, again, what, what your training partner likes to eat doesn't necessarily have to be what you like to eat, like eat what you like, because then I think you're more likely to eat it. But at a certain point, like nothing sounds good. Nothing tastes good. It could be like your favorite food in the world and it's hard. And so I think the Coke is a good idea. I do feel like that's something that I usually, I like, I do enjoy. And sometimes that it's surprising that the carbonation like can kind of feel good, um, at a certain point. And, um, I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard. That's why it's like, it's actually like a hard, the nutrition part is, is, is hard for a lot of people. And then I was going to say, I think this goes along with what you were saying about trying, you know, trying things even on short workouts like eat in the first hour as well of your workouts, like go with those small bites. Like it's better to have like small bites, like over, like starting pretty early, like before you are hungry and, but just keep it small, keep it small. You know, like that's going to be easier to digest because I think sometimes the problem can be too, where you wait too long and like you get so hungry and then you're like chomping on things and like, you're like getting in too much. And then it, uh, it just gets like difficult. So that would be my other piece of advice, like small bites over a longer period of time and starting earlier than you think. But again, um, have a listen to the outro. And as you might want to be picking up uh, eat, race, win after you hear us talk to Hannah Grant next. But um, keep those mailbag questions in. We are coming in. We are getting some more in the last week, which we were really enjoying. And we'll be touching on those in the upcoming weeks. And that's Podcast at gmail.com. And Haley, as we've now mentioned a couple times, we are talking to performance chef Hannah Grant today. Hannah has been the team chef on 16 Grand Tours, including several Tour de France races. She has an Emmy-winning show on Amazon Prime called Eat, Race, Win, as well as the cookbook with the same name. When we talk to Hannah, we dig into exactly how she found herself as a team chef uh, with her own TV show and what it's like to be an executive producer of that. She also offers advice for athletes on how to approach eating on certain days with various workouts and how to approach that. And we even got Hannah to give us some advice about seizing opportunities that are ahead of you. So we will talk to Hannah after a word from our sponsors. Okay, Alyssa, it's quiz time. Please tell me which noon hydration product I should be drinking during the following scenarios. First up, a two-hour hard bike workout. Ooh, I'd go with noon endurance because you need some carbs for that. All right, second question. An easy shakeout swim. Probably some noon sport, keep it light. What about working from home? Noon sport yet again. Final question. A three-day, 16-hour, fastest known time attempt on the 46 high peaks of the Adirondacks. I'd definitely say noon instant for sure. All the electrolytes, please. Ding, ding, ding. You got them all right, Alyssa. And I think it's obvious there's a noon hydration product for every time in life. Iron Women podcast listeners can try them all and get 30% off using the code livefeisty at noonlife.com. 
Again, that's Live Feisty, all one word with a capital L and a capital F. Use that code for 30% off any purchase at NoonLife.com. Twenty twenty, what a year! But Haley, it hasn't been all bad. Okay, Alyssa, tell me what's good about twenty twenty. Well, Iron Women partnered with Form Swim goggles. The pandemic has made pool time really tough, but that hasn't stopped me from seeing my swim splits, pace, and heart rate in real time thanks to the display in the eye cup of my Form Swim goggles. That's right, and you've spent the past couple of months alternating between a backyard pool, a public pool, and even an open water quarry, right? Yep. The Formsome goggles now even work in open water. You can track your GPS in a lake, ocean, and even a quarry and see it all in the Form Swim app. Okay, you've convinced me. Thanks to Form, maybe there can still be some swim highlights in 2020. For $199, you get a pair of Form's smart swim goggles, adjustable nose bridges to fit any face, and a fancy zipper carrying case. You can check it all out at formswim.com. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, thank you so much for uh, having me. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to talk to you guys. You're in Copenhagen. You're a chef. And so we're curious if there was a pandemic baking boom in Denmark like we had here in the U.S. And is that even something that you would get excited about as someone who already spends so much of your life cooking? It's uh, it's pretty interesting. Yes, there was a, an insane baking boom, baking and cooking boom, right? Everybody all of a sudden had to stay at home and do everything. And um, actually, um, I sort of like uh, bloomed with my own uh, recipe development because of that, because everyone was like trying to figure out how to do new things. And I thought, you know what? I will activate my blog. And then I actually started blogging and doing recipes. So um, yeah, so actually... It sounds as crazy, but thanks to the pandemic, I really, truly started sharing all my recipes on a much uh, broader uh, basis than I have done before. So, uh, yeah, there was a baking craziness all over, uh, all over Denmark, for sure. It's good to um, know even even chefs like feel like they can get something out of that. And I did look at your website and your blog and I saw that you had like a basically a quarantine cookbook that you posted there. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing. It sort of became so. The crazy thing was just before the the, the our whole country got shut down, um, my doctor had uh, they they he actually thought that I had um, like gallstones, so he put me on a special diet, um, and everything closed down, so they couldn't check up on it. And so I was like, okay, I'm on this special diet. I don't know if I have it or not because I can't get the checkup. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, you know, I got to cut out like dairy products, uh, like meat products, basically do like a whole, uh, like a whole foods type diet, um, almost like keto style. Um, and, and I thought, you know, how do I make this more fun for myself? And I thought, you know, I'll share it. So I started doing a whole lot of like waffle recipes, crazy sweet potato waffle recipes, all this stuff, just to sort of like, um, you know, kickstart it. And, um, and then all of a sudden I could go and get my checkup and they ultra scanned it. And it turned out, you know, it was work overload stress and not gallstones, <laughs> which was good for my diet. But also, you know, um, yeah, yeah, that's, I guess, what the pandemic does to you. It re you, you realize um, how your working environment is and then um, how you change it. So, yeah, that as well. 
Hannah, I did a little bit of, I have since ended it as I got a little bit busier, but I, I had been doing um, here in the States, like a pandemic baking challenge type of thing with friends. And we actually had one of the people doing the challenge was in Copenhagen as well. So I really do feel like the cooking was able to bring, you know, people all over the world together through this and really help kind of keep everyone close in a time when we couldn't interact with each other. Yeah. So it's been super cool to watch. It's yeah. I mean, I really, I really experienced that myself. Um, I did like a live uh, cooking class with uh, 39 people from all over the world. And it was so much fun. We were like people from New Zealand and Mexico, Colombia, the United States, Ireland, Belgium, like it was, you know, all of a sudden this is just this, this whole uh, closing down of, of everything has just, you know, opened up to what we can do online. And I think I've definitely uh, connect a lot more with people than I've done before, because all of a sudden this is the new way of, of interacting. And this is my new way of teaching. Um, and, and I think uh, it's, it's really, I mean, it's also very gratifying that you can actually see what people are doing and they're asking questions. You know, you, you, I connect with people in a whole different way than I've, that I've done before. Um, and, uh, and then the best thing is, of course, is when I get the feedback from all the triathletes and riders and runners that, you know, the food that they cook and the recipes that they use, they're actually working for them. Right. Um, you know, that's amazing. So you know, I'm sharing my ideas and my creativity and my knowledge and that, you know, I get to see that it actually works. That's that's really cool. And thank, thanks to Zoom and all these, uh, you know, digital digital platforms that works like that. We wanted to ask you a little bit about your earlier start to your career, because it seems like you were really focused on fine dining. You worked at the Fat Duck in the UK and Noma in Copenhagen. Both restaurants with multiple Michelin stars and both named best in the world by Restaurant Magazine. But in 2010, you left the fine dining world to work as the chef for a professional cycling team. So what prompted that career move for you? Mm, it, you know, um, I, I would like to present the, the story that I had planned it, but I really didn't. Um, I was, you know, um, I was working in, in as, you, as you know, the, the Michelin star restaurants and it's really, really hot labor work, uh, long hours, you know, um, it's just physically and mentally draining in many ways. And, you know, for me, uh, when you work, you have to find some satisfaction in it. You got to get something out of it, you know, um, and working in those restaurants is definitely not the pay that you get out of it. Right. You're not, you don't, uh, you don't fill up the bank account, um, and then I was like, well, then what do I fill up with this, right? Does it make sense to me? Um, and and so actually I decided that I wanted to start university and I wanted to study um, uh, health and nutrition and food science. And so um, I don't know if you've seen my show Eat, Race, Win. <laughs> in, the, in the beginning of that, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm breaking the news. I dropped out of high school. So that's sort of like... Um, creates a problem when you want to start university because that's sort of like the access point to it. But uh, the University of Copenhagen said, listen, we'll accept you if you do uh, a math class and a chemistry class because of the background you have. Uh, you're a chef, you work so much, it, this makes sense. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I can totally do that. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that's actually how it happened. So I was looking for a job where I could study those two subjects um, whilst working. And um, I got offered this job at a cycling team. I asked my old sous chef, you know, can you help me out? I need a job where I can work a lot, like concentrated and focused and then study. And he's like, I'll ask around. 
And um, and he called me and he said, there's a cycling team. They're looking for a chef. It's uh, nine months. And I'm like, perfect. That would fit. You know, I could do those two classes and I would finish it with the Tour de France and then I could start university. So I'm like, easy peasy. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I talked to them and they said, yeah, you're going to work maybe like five days and then have 10 days off. And then, you know, it'll be easy. Um <laughs> What I then, you know, I signed the contract and then uh, and then started it and uh, quickly found out that it was more like working two weeks and being off three days and then working another 10 day race and being off four days. So obviously I never passed those classes. Um, <laughs> and, and my dreams were like, you know, I was crying myself to sleep because I was so tired and I'm like, OK, this is not going to work out. Um but on the other hand, I all of a sudden had an insane job that you can never just apply for. And I thought, hmm, you know, uh, never let a good, uh, you know, um, uh, like a, a good catastrophe go to waste. So, you know, that became sort of the pickup. And I thought, well, let's see. It's nutrition. You know, I'm cooking for the world's best athletes. This is actually what I want to do, right? I want to cook something and I want to create the fuel that I can see working for somebody. And that gave me purpose all of a sudden, you know, this wasn't guests in a restaurant, just eating food that tastes good and looks beautiful. This was like human machines being fueled by what I provided. And that made sense to me, right? I could make a difference in how they felt mentally and how they recovered, like all these things. And all of a sudden it, you know, my job had a purpose, um, not just cooking food, but actually cooking food with a purpose. So that was that was um, yeah that was sort of like the crazy way into cycling. I I never I mean when I started in cycling, I knew nothing about it. Right, the whole team would sit around the dinner table, and they they would take turns asking me questions about you know how does the mountain jersey look in the Tour de France, <laughs> you know. And I basically I, it was just everyone was laughing. I had no idea, um, but I learned, <laughs> and uh, it worked out. Yeah, I stayed for five years. So. It was um, with the same team. Yeah. So this idea that you wanted to go to school and learn more about nutrition and the nutritional needs of athletes, did you just end up learning that on the job while working with the cycling team? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I always had a really big interest within the whole like uh, nutritional aspect of food. Um, so, I mean, I, I knew the basics of human nutrition. I mean, not like graduated basics, but the basic basics. Then, then yes, working with the team, you know, that expanded my horizon. I all of a sudden understood, uh, you know, obviously it takes a lot more to fuel a, like an, a pro athlete than it does to fuel a regular human being in terms of the, the energy output that they have and the recovery and, and the needs that you basically have as an athlete. So, yeah, I, I mean, I learned as, uh, as the, the months uh, went by the hard way as well as the the technical way we had a lot of different uh, nutritionists connected to the team um some uh, more holistic some more 80s old school um, and then uh finally dr stacy sims um who was uh, uh, or who is now actually one of my business partners and that i wrote uh, eat race Win, the cookbook with so for me that was you know it was definitely learning to navigate in what's right and what's wrong and what's a myth. Um, because from a nutritionist point of view, you know, um, 
they all have they all have a very uh, set opinion on what's right. But you know what was right in the '80s is not necessarily right today. You know we've we've gotten smarter. Um, so yeah, that was that was sort of a puzzle to kind of like navigate in. And so the the nutritional needs obviously were different, and you were learning about that. But I have to ask too, like, what about the personality needs and the differences between going from fine dining customers to like a cycling team? Can you tell us like who's the bigger diva, maybe? <laughs> oh man, um, yes. So I, I I normally I used to say you know cooking for a cycling team is like having the same nine guests at your restaurant every day. So except they're not paying for your food, right? They're more like expecting, they're expecting that you read their minds and, you know, sort of it becomes where, you know, I would also, I would also say it's sort of like maybe having actually nine kids because, you know, they get used to the fact that they are provided for, um, in the male cycling, you know, they have chefs in the women's cycling, they don't. So, you know, the guys, they definitely, um, especially the the super top pro ones, because I only went on the, the most important races. So I would only have uh, the, the like the top, top riders with me at all times. And the more they were with me, the more they got used to it and the more they were demanding, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was trying to cater for, you know, six, seven, eight different nationalities, um, you know, uh, dietary needs, um, emotional uh, behavior in that way, you know, it was problematic in the beginning. I mean, it was the first year was a nightmare. I mean, I, re I remember once in the first race was Paris Nice and, you know, I'm a chef. I worked in restaurants. I always, I wanted to show them that, you know, Hey man, I have skills. I can also give you the rest restaurant experience. Um, so I did this amazing dish and, you know, with all the right, uh, you know, ingredients, we were doing a lot of like vegetables, whole foods, and not all the white pasta, no ketchup. So I was doing a really beautiful dish um, that that was really good for them. And everybody panicked because I plated it. And they thought that they could only have the food on the plate. And I realized, you know, this was like, to them, they saw, they didn't see, wow, this is a beautiful meal. They saw, oh my God, where's the rest of the food? <laughs> you know, like, this is not enough. And I'm like, guys, there's a whole buffet there. You can just grab more. And it was just, it just created so much panic. Right. And I thought, okay, this is another way to go. Right. And also someone was like, I don't like rice. And like, I don't like this. And I'm like, fuck, man. sorry, pardon my friend. How do I like, how do I cater to all of this? Right. You know, um, I would start off the races say, you know, saying to them, hey, guys, I really want to accommodate everybody's wishes, but you all know you have different opinions. So please bear with me, you know, bring me requests. I'll try and, and, and you know, bring everything to the table, but it's not going to happen tomorrow and it's not going to happen at the same time. Um, so it was sort of like uh, trying to, to balance the expectations, right? Because they were like, you're a chef, you can cook whatever. And I'm, yeah, but I can't cook nine different a la carte meals for you guys. That's not, you know, that's definitely not possible. So yeah, it was, it was a learning curve. Let's say it like that. And if any of our listeners are curious about seeing this in action, you're, you are the star of the Amazon prime series eat race win where you follow the cooking or you 
did the cooking for the Orca Scott team at the 2017 Tour de France. I think this was your 16th Grand Tour. So you'd had some time from that very first initial yeah. year. You'd grown, you'd gotten used to these, these cyclists and these athletes. But how did that experience change when you had cameras on you? I mean, it looks very stressful. And I can only imagine like actually capturing <laughs> it on film made it a whole yeah. nother level. So the funny thing was the most stressful part about actually having a whole camera crew there was not so much the cameras like on me. It was more the fact that I had a production crew of 29 people behind the scenes that had never been at the Tour de France, that didn't know how to act, that didn't know, you know, that didn't understood, uh, understood like that didn't understand the, the uh, like unwritten rules of how to behave at the Tour. And what happened was, you know, I was the, the front face of that inside the, inside the Tour de France, right? The teams, they knew me, everyone within the cycling world knew me. And so I was sort of responsible for 29, like, ah, people that was just running around places they weren't supposed to be and not understanding, like, you know, um, uh, urgency and time cut off and that you can't just take a break because, you know, whenever you want, because... You know, in the morning after breakfast, you got to go to the next hotel. It's like two to three hundred like kilometers to the next place. And, you know, that was possibly the most stressful thing was like trying to, you know, um, actually train 29 film crew people to understand how that world works. Because, you know, cycling is brutal in that way. If you're slow and you're not um, and you're not, you know, fitting in they close you out right so that was the and they the, you know that would have been the end of the show had they closed us out because no, we would have had nothing to film so that was you know that was the uh, that was the tricky part of that um <laughs> but uh yeah I mean it was stressful the tour is very stressful and then on top of that also because on a normal tour or a normal grand tour you know I focus on my work and I you know I I do the work the uh, sourcing cooking uh, you're also the social spot. You're also the entertainment place because you're the kitchen, right? All the sponsors and sports directors and uh, riders come after uh, after the races. Like, there's a lot of people coming to your truck expecting you to entertain them and serve them. Um, so, so that on top of also being saying smart things <laughs> and, um, you know, being on top of your game. Yeah, that was that was an intense experience. Um, Did but did you have to feed them? Perfectly. Yeah, did Say you again? have to feed the extra 29 people? Did you were you responsible for feeding them or they have their own like craft services? No, I mean, um some of them so the crew that was so we we were split up at all times because we had so many different parts going everywhere. Someone was following the riders and the sports directors and so on. Um so the ones that were around me and my guys like of course they would eat what was there if, you know, if stuff was uh, was extra or left, um, but it's it was it was a logistic uh, um, puzzle. Some would say nightmare, um, but uh, I, I mean no. It was the unfortunate thing. I mean you know I if we had had to cater for twenty nine people extra, you know I would have needed another three shifts and another truck because um, that's that's the you know it's the trucks were were definitely more. Um, they, they were not geared for like hundreds of people. So yeah, it was difficult. So they ate a lot of baguette and, um, and local sausage. 
And Hannah, so you were not only the face for that show, but also an executive producer. So was that like the stuff you were balancing in that producer role was trying to make sure everyone was like in their places, staying, you know, like doing that kind of logistical management role? No, I mean, I, I was definitely not the logistic manager at the at the show. Uh, I did not have any mental capacity to do that. But um, the executive producer role was uh, very much about the overall storytelling and the overall, you know, what are, what are we telling and what are we showing? Because I did not want it to be a, a cliche program. I didn't want it to be like a um, like a reality type show. Um, I wanted to tell a story from from a true point of view where it was where you felt like you were invited in and you felt like you were my friend in terms of being in that crew. Um, and and so that was, you know, that was definitely a big part of that. I mean, we started planning it in in uh, August 16. So it took a, it took almost a year to I mean, from from when we first started it to to actually um, filming it in terms of me having to tell the producers, you know, what, how does it work? You know, how does cycling function, right? I had to tell every little bit about the different crew and so on, like all these these parts, because when you don't work inside uh, cycling, you don't understand what a machinery uh, it takes to keep it running. You see the riders and you see sometimes the sports directors in the car, but you don't see how it truly, truly runs. And I had to make them understand that that was, you know, that was important to show that part. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Um, and then obviously uh, during, when we were editing the show, uh, Me Too hit and um, there was a whole uh, uh, exchange in uh, in producers at uh, Amazon. So they sort of went from wanting to have um, like, a more like storytelling show to having a more food cooking show. The problem was we had already filmed everything, so we couldn't go back and redo it. So the the editors did such an amazing job, um, thankfully, of like trying to pull out all those bits of like the detailed food cooking stuff. So it was it was interesting and tricky, but it won an Emmy. So um, it was a really amazing work that uh, piece of work that they did. I'm very thankful for that. And I think you really accomplished the goal you set out to show this behind the scenes of the tour, because while I think it really highlighted how hard the whole team works at a ground tour and including the culinary team that's outsourcing and cooking incredibly well thought out daily menus for the team of nine riders, the staff, anyone else who's around apparently and for a whole 21 days. And so it seems like riding a bike over the Alps is, is difficult, but finding a grocery store might be even harder. So did you have time to sleep and eat while you were working or was this like a 24 hour a day job for 21 days straight? Yeah. I mean, actually it's 21 day race days. Then you have two rest days and you start off three days earlier. So it's 27 days. Um, and so it's basically a month. Um, yeah, no. Um, basically, <laughs> I try to squeeze in sleep whenever I can. Um, but, you know, as a chef to begin with, you get up as the first one and you go to bed as the last one. Um, so you, it's, it's, it's rarely that you get more than um, six, seven hours, uh, if you're lucky, uh, in the night. Uh, and you don't have a single day off for an entire month. So... 
I'm a big believer of naps in the afternoon. If you can squeeze 20 minutes in an hour, if you're super lucky, right? Um, for me, it was sort of like being a cell phone, just being like charged a little bit here, a little bit there, just trying to like, you know, um, you know, survive as as uh, the days went past. It's it's incredibly hard to go through uh, the tour uh, as for the staff as well. Really is. It really is. Something that really stood out was how thoughtful you were about the team's menu at different times during the tour. So this is kind of a big question, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on the food goals for this kind of three parts. So before a big racer workout, after a tough workout, if things didn't go quite as you planned and you're not feeling great and three for during a race or rest day. For during a race day and a rest day, like, one, yeah, one so the other. The, yeah, the first part, sorry, I kind of mixed that up a little bit, but yeah. the first part is, yeah, the, a race, a big race or a workout and then a tough workout okay. if things yeah. didn't go as planned and you don't feel well. And then three for during a rest day. Okay, absolutely. Well, um, okay. So be, before a race day, I mean, as I, as I tell everyone who asks me, you know, what do I like? I want to do my best. Like maybe you've signed up for, uh, a a super important competition this is the first time you're going to do it you really want to nail it right you had your you're nervous as well and so on so the first thing i say is don't ever try to eat something new in the days up to your race because what i've seen uh, with some of the pro riders is they are um they want to try you know they want to gain everywhere and then they they've heard from another rider that he's tried this and that works for him and then they want to go on a um, a low residue diet the day before the most important race of the year. And I'm like, maybe it's not today that you start that, right? Maybe you try that during off season. So, so I mean, if you are a trained athlete and you know how your body, I mean, as an athlete, you, you understand um, what your body functions well on and you understand what it doesn't function well on mostly. So, Rule number one, you know, stick to what you know works for you. Don't add important race. Don't 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 change everything up. That's really a big no no. And then of course, um, don't starve yourself up to the race because that's another thing that I've seen is um, I've seen riders that think they can just lose a little bit of weight in the days up to the race, and even at the breakfast uh, before an important stage. Um, where you know starving yourself before an important um race or training session is is not the way either because that means you're going to bonk and that means you're going to start you know uh, start the the energy bar gel route way too early in your stage uh, which is going to ruin your performance so when that's said um the most important thing uh, before a big race Get a really good dinner with some like a good carb loading dinner with not too many raw vegetables. Um, that's definitely one of, of uh, my good advices is because um, that can create a little bit for some people, especially if you're eating like uh, coleslaw or cabbage or broccoli and stuff like that. That can create some problematics uh, like in your stomach that you don't want to have Um uh, so, you know, cook veggies, uh, a good carp, uh, dense carp um, base, like uh, like a good risotto could be amazing. Something that really gives you a good base. And then, of course, uh, some sort of like um, lean protein, like fish or 
uh, chicken or anything like that. And then a good vinaigrette. I mean, steamed veggies as well. Like give yourself a good meal, uh, but don't eat stuff that's too heavy on your digestion because that is a killer, man, especially if you got to get over a mountain, right? You don't want to have that um, that uh, braised uh, lamb shank hanging out for too long, right? So um, so that that's like, that's definitely one of the things. And then of course, in the morning breakfast, make sure that you combine the different types of carbs that you eat. So slow release carbs, like I'm a huge fan of oatmeal. I love oatmeal uh, and I love it uh, for the, you know, the purpose of giving you a slow release energy Basically, it's such an amazing battery. You can pack so many cool things into it, um, like dried fruits, fresh fruits, like nuts and seeds and so on. So you can have a really good mixed uh, sort of like energy release battery um, that works really well for you. If you don't like oatmeal, you could do like a soaked muesli, like a birch muesli style thing. Um, but make sure to get make sure to get carbs in that will keep you uh, basically keep your battery running for as long as possible when your race starts because if you skip on breakfast and you keep it too short or you only eat fruit fruit and yogurt chances are that when you start running or riding it will be a very short time before you start reaching for your food in the pocket uh, and then when you're out of food uh, hey here's a gel and then once you pop that gel you start the if you are gels and i want to say on behalf of stacy you know she's a very uh, she's not a very big fan of, of gels because of the nature of the whole uh, blood sugar peak and crash. So if you start doing the gels, you know, um, basically if you don't have enough gels, it's like the nitro boost as, as a race, race car engine, right? If you don't have enough gels to get you through the race, you're just going to bonk. Um, so yeah. So think about your breakfast, think about your dinner. That's really important. And then don't try new new crazy diets and things uh, before that. I think that's the best basic rules that I know. And if you're racing and you're making your own snacks, then definitely, um, you know, try everything out beforehand, but pack something that you really like and that you know that's easy to eat uh, during the race. Um, I know for some it's, you know, I do like a sweet potato race cake. It's amazing because it's, you know, it's soft and moist and you can mix berries into it and so on. Um, you don't probably don't want to do for most people like a brittle uh, nut bar um, <laughs> when you're racing, unless you have a lot of water to like flush it down with. So yes, yeah, so that that was uh, the long answer to the first question. <laughs> um, yeah, and then um, and then after a workout that's not gone gone so well, <laughs> that's that was the next question. Yeah. So, you know, I, I work with, of course, uh, I'm a big believer of eating right and using, you know, uh, eating a lot of uh, basically non-wheat uh, products. So not all the refined stuff, not all the uh, white pasta, not too much like super screaming white toast bread, um, but like uh, rice and quinoa and like uh, polenta, all these like potatoes, different mixed uh, amazing uh, ingredients. Um, and I'm also a big believer of, you know, um, making sure that you get what you need to recover mentally, because if you've had a really shitty, shitty day, uh, on, on your bike or running, uh, at a race or in training, you know, beating yourself down with a strict diet at night is not going to help you feel better in the morning. 
Um, I'm not encouraging people to binge eat and sit in front of the telly and just scoop in uh, Ben and Jerry's. But I'm just saying, you know, give yourself um, what I would do if a, a rider had a really shitty day. You know, I would think about what is comforting for him. Like, where is he from? What is something that he likes that he can feel at home with? Because when we're on the road, right, you're never home. You're in a new hotel every single day. So I would think about what makes this guy feel, you know, sort of home. What what makes him feel like he's in a safe space? And then it's like kind of like comforting the mind without compromising the the dietary needs. Um, and I think that's a possible way to like connect. So so give yourself the space to eat something that comforts you, and still stays within the the, the realm of your. Uh, dietary uh, needs you know um but like you know give yourself some space um i think that's important because if you don't soothe the mind then you know you're just never going to get that extra 20 percent in your performance i mean i think i think most people know that if you really want something you know the engine that you have can you can push it to a certain level and then the rest is basically willpower right and if you are mentally on top, you can do a lot more. So I'm a big believer of nursing, uh, nursing the, the you know the 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 mental recovery part as well. I love that using the food to nourish your mind to help you through those kind of long efforts and long, you know, yeah. days. Even if you're not on a, a grand cycling tour kind of thing, you know, just day after day yeah. of training can be tough for people everyday lives. So. That's a, that's a great point. And then the last part of this big question would be, you know, for the, for the rest day. Yeah. So, um, typically on a rest day, uh, at a big tour, um, we would go pretty easy on, on, on the meals, like the night before the rest days, it would be uh, like a celebration meal. We were actually very, um, uh, we did we did the same at the rest days, more or less every single, at every single big tour. So we would have, uh, like a build-it-yourself burger with like homemade buns and everything after the race, before the race day, something that they could like properly digest the day after, right? Now they would have a day to like lay down and like, ah, uh, you know, um, or just go for a short spin, which would be probably 40 miles, um, which is, that's a short spin in the tour, right? Um, and then on rest days, you know, something like some keeping it easy, like something like a niçoise salad, not going too heavy on the carbs for lunch, just keeping it light because obviously the activity levels are not like um, are not as crazy as as on the normal days. But just you know, keeping it also for the eye, definitely beautiful and like and and sort of light. And then again at nighttime, before um, before starting training again, you definitely want to think about picking it up on getting your carbs in and not eating too many things that can create problematic situation for for your uh, digestion so that would be that would be a rest day um for us uh, typically and also the riders would barely eat anything for breakfast on a rest day because when you're when you're a pro rider at the tour you eat so much food right they eat so much food they eat three times as much as a, a regular uh, human being so you know, um, believe it or not, you you can get really sick of sick of eating at a certain point. So breakfast would just be very light, maybe a few pa few pancakes and just keep it, you know, really really easy, and then chill out. Yeah. Hannah, the Tour de France is going on right now as a recording. So do you follow the race, and do you miss being there? 
I follow it like um, I don't. I can't see the uh, the stages because I have to work. <laughs> because normally it's in the summertime where you can actually watch it. Um, but I do admit that I do follow all the updates. I think on my Twitter account, I follow every single possible cycling uh, account there. So if something happens, I know. Um, so yeah, I do. Uh, I do follow it. I think um, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to let go of uh, once once you've been in it. Um, do I miss it? Um, during COVID nineteen, I've spoken to a few of the chefs there. It is brutal, man. I mean, the stress at the tour normally is insane, but with all the restrictions, it's even worse. So this year, I must admit, I don't actually miss being there. Um, what I do miss, of course, is the whole traveling part and the sourcing and um, like the 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 atmosphere that you have around the tour. Um, but the the this year, I think it's it's and I credit out to all the chefs there and all the all the all the staff at the teams because they are working so hard and they are man. This year is crazy. Yeah, really. Yeah. Hannah, you worked as a chef for the men's cycling teams, but your most yeah. recent cookbook, which we've talked about, is called Eat, Race, Win. And for that, you teamed up with exercise physiologist Dr. Stacy Sims, who we know well here at the Iron Women podcast. And she's famous, obviously, for her specific work for women. So do you think that female endurance athletes should be eating differently than their male counterparts? Definitely. I mean, I think you, uh, you uh, probably know uh, Stacy's book, Roar, so well. Um, yes, absolutely. So I think, I mean, for, to, to kind of like wind it back to say, to begin with, I think it's outrageously crazy that it's, uh, you know, that Stacy has been fighting for so many years to, to get this out in the open to say, Hey, women are not small men. Women are different. You know, we have periods like we just change so much and it's so hot for scientists to account for that. They're like, Hey, just eat like men. And that's obviously why performance for women is, you know, has 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 not been as great as it could be. So yeah, I'm a I'm a very big believer in in that. And I think um, I think I know. Uh, big shout out to everyone. If they haven't read Stacy's book, they should read it because it really truly is a game changer. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of of uh, of this uh, in the coming years. Um, I have, I mean, I have a, you know, I, I've spoken to Stacy we have a few cookbook projects uh, in the pipeline so um yeah there'll definitely be something that's um that's specifically for uh, for women as well um because you know it's just uh, it's crazy that um that it's not out there that being said food is food and it's just about it's definitely about the timing uh, for males and females so it's not to say that my recipes don't work for one or the other it's just more about the the timing around when you eat what well, we will be eagerly anticipating this upcoming cookbook, but <laughs> you were recently a guest on our sister podcast, Girls Gone Gravel, and it seemed like you were very supportive of vegetables during that conversation with Catherine and Christy. So do you think endurance athletes should be eating more vegetables? Well, I think um, I would say yes. Um, my experience right now, I think a lot of uh, endurance athletes that I know of, they already eat a lot of veggies because it's gone a lot better. When I started in cycling, they were like, no, the only vegetables they ate, it was in the shape of ketchup, right? Um, and uh, so so definitely, you know, I think um, what I've seen from the pro riders that I've worked with is 
you know, sometimes if you're frustrated and sad and um, tired or bored, um, you know, you tend to go uh, snacking, right? Uh, especially when you're on the tours. And um, and uh, that can obviously lead to some unnecessary weight gain, believe it or not, in a pro rider. Uh, crazy. So I think um, in many ways, of course, um, veggies has a great place, especially also for snacking um, after meals, because once you've eaten what you actually need, you still have that craving for something that's, you know, tasty and yummy. Um, and then as well as uh, also the, the other thing uh, about it, of course, is the whole nutritional aspect of it. I mean, I do really, really think that it's important to, to, to eat a varied diet and to get the veggies in because what they do is not only from a nutritional point of view, they give you like flavor bursts, the beautiful colors. They just make food more inviting than just eating like tons of carbs and protein. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about, you know, it's all about uh, variation and, um, and getting those veggies in absolutely at the right time. And that being said is of course, um, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that you should just go completely, you know, paleo strict and just eat broccoli and uh, and protein because that's that again, you know, that's a completely different ball game uh, for an endurance athlete. That's uh, that's not um, recommended if you really want to do well. You you gotta you gotta have those dense carbs, but a good balanced uh, balanced diet, absolutely. I mean, I'm a I love veggies so much, really do. You know, they just add that mm, to everything. Hannah, you brought up earlier that the fact that you had dropped out of high school and, you know, it's hard to believe, like looking at your resume now, you're a professional chef who has cooked at both Noma and the Tour de France. You're a published author, an executive producer, an entrepreneur. So do you have any advice for, you know, a, a listener who might be struggling or feeling stuck in their career or just kind of, you know, wondering kind of how to, to make it through the world? Well, see, I, I feel like I always... Um... I always made the, the the decisions that changed my life. I mean, I know that now looking back, right? But the decisions that I made that changed my life, I always took those when I was, you know, basically in the gravel and like the furthest down I could be, right? Um, that that created a, a way for me to make change. And I think um, I have, you know, I'm, I don't fit in very well in a regular school or office environment. Um, that to me is very counterproductive. You know, I can't, um, I don't, I don't just fit into those square things. So I think, um, you know, sometimes, or actually I know a lot of people who, who has that feeling with, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I fit into this uh, like work environment? Um, and instead of thinking about what's wrong with you, I'm just, you know, I would think about what is right with you and how do you strive and what what gets your spark going. For me, it was definitely something different. It was it was um, going my own way and then uh, taking chances because because the taking chances part was definitely you know um, or is the thing that that you know I think when you're dying just to say it in the end <laughs> when you're dying at some point. You can never regret taking the chances. You can only regret not taking them, right? So for for me, it was it was definitely something about you know um, I just didn't fit into high school, and I, I just I never did well. I mean, yeah, I just I was I was motivated to to learn if I had a passion for it. Um, 
and so that's what I went for. You know, if it felt wrong uh, inside, if I felt like this is not right, you know, I would start to feel more depressed and then, you know, the outcome of my work would be shit. So for me, it's definitely listen to your gut, right? Because um, if you don't, you know, you're going to break yourself down. You're going to, you're going to end up actually uh, feeling sick and stressed and all these things. So um, yeah, I mean, take chances, you know, you can always go back to having a nine to five job. I think that's, that's, uh, that's the easiest thing is, is to definitely get, get the regular job. But, you know, when a chance comes up, you know, like I did, do you want to work for a cycling team? Why not? You know, what an experience, you know, if it's really hard and awful, you can always, you know, you have the storytelling of it, right? Um, it's not just been, uh, you know, uh, a, a pleasure ride and cycling right it's been hard and uh, it's been tough but um but you know it's it's just it's shaped me and it's just created you know um made me into who i am today and i think the more chances you take and the more you get into this uh, crazy uh, river rafting life where you just go with the flow um the more confident you get in it and the less crazy it seems to uh, to um to start a company or to uh, say yes to a, a crazy TV show at the tour, you know, it's just, yeah, I think, I think, um, st start in the small, but you know, try something new, break out of it. You can always go back. That's the easy part. Definitely. Anna, you definitely have a story worth telling. And so we've already mentioned that eat race win the show is available to watch on Amazon prime, but what is the best way for our listeners to purchase either the eat race win cookbook or your first book, the grand tour cookbook. And of course, how do we follow you online? Well, you can purchase uh, my cookbook on hannahgrant.com. I have a web shop there and um, I'll give you guys a discount code. Um, you can get 20% off the books uh, when you purchase it with uh, the discount code. I'll uh, send it to you guys um, to, to put in the show notes. Um, and um, you can follow me on Instagram. That's probably the best one, which is Daily Stews. And uh, I post all the images of my recipes and everything that I do. I do these live cooking classes and then sign up to my newsletter because that's where all the interesting things are coming in, you know. Um, so we send out the recipes to everyone who's uh, on that newsletter um, if you don't have the book. So, yeah, so that's where you can find me. We'll be sure to put the discount code and links to you on Instagram at Daily Stews and as well as the link to your newsletter in those show notes for our listeners. Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time today. I think we could listen to you talking, telling stories <laughs> about the tour and what it was like behind the scenes all day. And we really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Haley, do you know what I'm doing when I'm feeling kind of down? What do you do, Alyssa? I go to gooder.com forward slash feisty, the live feisty curated collection on the Gooder sunglasses website. And I read the fun names of all the sunglasses. Ooh, do you have a current favorite? I think today I'm going with Kitty Hawker's Ray blockers. Oh, nice pick from the new Mach G line. Going for a run in a pair of teal aviators would make me so happy right now. Happiness really might be a pair of no slip, no bounce, polarized sunglasses in fun colors with a fun name. Happiness is also sunglasses that start at just $25 a pair. So all of our listeners should go to gooder.com forward slash feisty to see our favorites and find their own. 
That's G-O-O-D-R.com forward slash F-E-I-S-T-Y. Be sure to check out the virtual try-on feature while you're there. And of course, look good, run gooder. Hannah mentioned a discount code for her Eat, Race, Win performance endurance athlete cookbook. And as of this recording, we don't have the exact code, but it's probably Iron Women. And, uh, but go ahead and check out the show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com. I think that code will get you a 20% discount off that book, Eat, Race, Win, the Endurance Athletes Cookbook. The code will be good at hannahgrant.com. And I'd also encourage everyone to go check out hannahgrant.com. As she mentioned, there's a lot of recipes that she's posted during the last couple of months. And so if you want to like get a little taste for what might be in that cookbook, check out some of her recipes online. And then if you like them a lot, check out the cookbook. And of course, keep an eye on Live Feisty pages and social medias. Um, keep an eye on at Daily Stew's Hannah's Instagram as well. They will be putting up information about how to sign up for the live cooking class with Hannah Grant and Sarah True. Um, so keep an eye on that so you can get signed up and get all of the ingredients and everything ready to rock and roll for that class. So um, Haley, I'm I'm super pumped. I feel like reinvigorated about learning to cook, you know, I kind of like spiked during the early quarantine COVID phasing. And then I like started training for the Adirondacks and it took kind of tapered off. But I think, I think I'm heading back up on the cooking train. All right. This might be perfect for you. Get you kick start, kick start that your, uh, restart. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> your ba- hopefully they bake something so you can get right into that again, but maybe you'll find out a new way of cooking that you like, but definitely uh should be a good time but Alyssa, enjoy your rest of your time in california and safe travels home and i will talk to you soon bye Haley. triathlon is certainly hard on your skin without a doubt that was teresa helsel dermatologist pa and accomplished triathlete earlier this year teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelio's products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Haley, it only took a global pandemic for me to realize how much I truly appreciated swimming and to make open water swimming something I am actually eager to do. Then you'll be super excited for our new 2020 partnership with Orca Wetsuits. Alyssa, you and our listeners can get 15% off at orca.com with the code IRONWOMEN15. This is meant to be. My first wetsuit I raced in was an Orca Wetsuit, actually, so I already know I like them. I've been trying out their Swim Run Wetsuit. Soon I'll have no excuse not to race one of those events. Thanks to Orca for getting us set up to tackle all the open water swim action. Don't forget, that's code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Zilio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Orca Sportswear, Gooder Sunglasses, as well as our Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find all website links and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com. Hold up. 